Father, in our sin and in our great weakness, we need your help. We thank you that you have promised it to us. We thank you for the gift of your spirit amongst us this morning. And we pray that by your spirit, you will help us to hear your voice and believe and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Do sit down. I will praise you with all of my strength, we've just been singing, and I wonder if we mean that. That is a mighty big thing to say. In the brief that uh, we were given, those of us who are doing these talks on these four great songs from scripture as we go through this weekend... uh, we were told this, and I hope this, isn't, I hope this isn't top secret, but I'm going to tell you what it said on the brief, okay? It said, we are concerned that we, as musicians who lead the corporate praises of God, are often not fervent in evangelism. You've got that on the outline that I've handed to you. We are concerned that we, as musicians who lead the corporate praises of God, are often not fervent in evangelism. Is that right? Is it the case that however church is organised where you are, music group meets on a Tuesday night in one set of rooms, over in another set of rooms, Christianity explored or whatever it is, the equivalent is meeting in another space and there is no overlap between the two between the evangelistic Bible studies and the music ministry. And we say to ourselves, music is my ministry. And whether I keep my mouth shut about my faith at work when those awkward issues come up has no bearing on it at all. If that were to be the case, then that is a travesty. And it undermines the integrity of our music ministry utterly. If our singing, both individual and corporate, is going to praise God, it must be integrated with our individual and corporate evangelism. And that is exactly where Psalm 96 kicks in. Uh, You have that outline that I mentioned We're going to look at Psalm 96 in five sections, so have both the psalm and the outline in front of you. And first of all, what we are called to do. The first three verses of Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. We are to sing to the Lord. As with Exodus 15 that we were thinking about last night, 
whether or not our songs are songs of mutual encouragement or songs telling other people about God, all of it, all that we do is to God. He is our focus. He is the centre of all that we're doing. And we must never, ever lose sight of that. And we are to sing a new song, says verse 1. Now that phrase, a new song, is an interesting one. It appears at least nine times across uh, Scripture. Six of those occasions are in different Psalms. I just want to give you one or two examples of that. So just turn, if you've got a Bible uh, with you, just turn back to Psalm 40 from Psalm 96. Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is a very important psalm to me. I'll tell you a bit more about that in a moment. But it begins like this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, all right? So this is somebody who has been in a slimy pit of life in some way or another. And he says, God lifted me out of it, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. And the rock on whom God sets our feet is Christ. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Another way of thinking about this is this is, in other words, the, ex- the, the individual exodus experience of somebody. And he says, verse 3, uh, this is David's psalm, he says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord as a consequence of this new song that I am singing. I, uh, when I was going through a particularly difficult time in my life, many years ago now, I found myself um, grabbed by Psalm 40 and I memorised the whole psalm and I said it again and again to myself. And that psalm, that new song, became for me like a doorway into the whole of the, the Psalter. And the Psalms, for the first time in my life actually, I'm going back a long, a long time, but for the first time in my life, I wasn't just reading the psalms as somebody else's songs, as it were, as primarily David's, but others as well. The psalms became my songs from my heart. And if you haven't been through that experience yet, I urge you to get into the psalms because they are an astonishing spiritual resource for us. Psalm 96, not least. Another example of the new song is in Revelation 5, 9. We're going to be looking at Revelation 5, um, uh, on a later occasion this weekend. And that says, they sang, this is uh, this vision of heaven, they sang a new song, you are worthy, is the new song. And then again in Revelation 14, uh, Revelation 14 says this, they sang a new song before the throne. No one could learn the song, this new song, except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. In other words, this new song is a song of the redeemed. Only the redeemed can learn it. It only makes sense to those who've had this this exodus experience, this experience of being lifted out of the mud and the mire, out of the slimy pit, of being rescued by Christ through his death and resurrection and the gift of his spirit. It is only those who believe and belong to the Lord Jesus, who can, from the heart, sing this new song that the Lord puts uh, uh, within us. We are to sing in all 
places, all the earth, everywhere we find ourselves. Now, I don't know how you organize your life, but I wonder if there are places where you live your life that are no-go zones for your faith, as it were, where you just do not talk about the fact that you belong to Christ and that he bought you and that you follow him and not the ways of the world around you. We must have no no no-go zones for our faith. And our faith must have what you might call intentional global coverage. God wants us to take the new song to the ends of the earth. And I wonder if we think that there are some areas that are beyond our reach. Now, I want to show you a testimony. In 2010, I went to uh, the Lausanne Congress for World Evangelization, which was in Cape Town, a global gathering of people in Cape Town. It was a remarkable experience in all kinds of different ways. Uh, On one of the evenings, we heard a testimony from a girl who had been born in North Korea. And I want to show it to you, assuming the technology uh, works, uh, in just a moment. You'll need to listen uh, carefully. I hope it comes across clearly. Um, This is about seven minutes, all right? So listen to this. My name is Gyeongju Sun. I was born in Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea. I came to South Korea in 2009. I am 18 years old, and I am currently in my second year of high school. I was the only child of a very wealthy family. My father was an assistant of Kim Jong-il, who is the leader of North Korea. When I was only six years old, my family was politically persecuted by the North Korean government. So we escaped to China. That was in 1998. After we settled in China, one of our relatives led my family to church. There my parents came to know the amazing grace and love of God. Then only a few months later, my mother, who was pregnant with her second child, passed away from leukemia. Yet in the midst of this family tragedy, my father started a Bible study with missionaries from South Korea and America. It was his strong desire to become a missionary to North Korea. But suddenly in 2001, he was reported and arrested by the Chinese police and was sent back to North Korea, where he was sentenced to prison. He was forced to leave me behind. But the three years he served in prison only made my father's faith stronger. He cried out to God more desperately rather than to complain or blame him. When he was released from prison, he returned to China. We were reunited briefly. It was then that he started to gather Bibles. Not long after, he decided to return to North Korea 
to share Christ's message of life and hope among the hopeless people of his homeland. He chose not to go to South Korea where he could have enjoyed religious freedom. Instead, he chose to return to North Korea to share the love of God in a dangerous land. It breaks my heart to tell you that in 2006, his work was discovered by the North Korean government and he was again imprisoned. I have heard no word from my father nor about him ever since. In all probability, he has been shot to death in public on charges of treason and espionage as is so often the case for persecuted Christians in North Korea. When my father was arrested the first time in 2001 and was forced to leave me and return to North Korea, I was not yet a Christian. That's when I was adopted by a young Chinese pastor's family. They showed me great love and care. Through them, God protected me. But the pastor and his wife had to go to America in 2007. Shortly after that, I was given the opportunity to go to South Korea. It was while I was still in China, staying at the Korean consulate in Beijing, waiting to come to South Korea. Late one night, I saw Jesus in a dream. He had tears in his eyes. He walked towards me and said, Gyeongju, how much longer are you going to keep me waiting? Walk with me. Yes, you lost your earthly father, but I am your heavenly father and whatever has happened to you was because I love you. After I woke up from the dream, I kneeled and prayed to God for the first time. That night, I realized that God, my father, loves and cares about me so very much that he sent his son Jesus to die for me. I prayed, God, here I am. I just lay down everything and give you my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Please use me as you will. Now, God has placed deep in my heart a great love for North Korea, just as my father was used there for God's kingdom. I now desire to be obedient to God. I want to bring the love of Jesus to North Korea. I look back over my short life and I see God's hand everywhere. Six years in North Korea, 11 years in China, and the time of being here in South Korea. Everything I suffered, all the sadness and grief, everything that I experienced and learned, I was to give it all to God and use my life for his kingdom. I hope to honor my father and to bring glory to my heavenly father by serving God with my whole heart. Currently, I am working hard to get into university to study political science and diplomacy. Then, I want to work for the rights of the people of North Korea whose rights have been taken away. I believe God's heart cries out for the lost people of North Korea. 
I humbly ask you, my brothers and sisters here in this place, to have the same heart of God. Please pray that the same light of God's grace and mercy that reaches my father and my mother and know me will one day soon down upon the people of North Korea. My people, thank you. We are called to sing the new song in all the earth. There are to be no, no no-go zones. We are called to sing at all times, day after day. The psalm says in the New Testament, Paul speaks of our our work of evangelism in season and out of season season. I remember um, the uh, evangelist David Watson, some of you may have uh, heard of him, uh, telling how he, one time he, um, he'd been working very, very hard. He was telling people about the gospel all day, every day. He went on holiday for a few days to a little guest house. And he, and he was thinking to himself, now for once I'm off duty. And there was somebody staying at the guest house who engaged him in conversation and started asking him about his faith and what he did and so on and pumping him with questions. And at first he found himself reluctant, even though this person was trying to find out about the gospel from him. He found himself reluctant to talk about it because he was thinking to himself, I'm off duty, I don't have to be doing this now, I'm trying to have a break. But then his heart was softened and he realised what was going on. At all times we are to be ready to sing the song, and to all peoples among the nations, nearly all the nations on earth were represented at that gathering in Cape Town. It was an extraordinary thing. Nearly two representatives, nearly 200 nations, a mark of what God has been doing, even in our lifetimes, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are to praise, proclaim, and declare God's glory. Praise is purposeful. It is directed to the Lord and it is also directed to the nations. That word proclaim there, uh, in the old Greek Old Testament, that word is the same word that we get the word evangelize from. It's basically saying we are to evangelize uh, uh, God's salvation. We are to spread the news of God's salvation uh, day after day. Our message is God's salvation, his glory, his marvellous deeds. It is not about you, as the saying goes. It is about him. Secondly, why we are called to do this, verses 4 to 6. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. God is great. His greatness is shown in contrast to man-made idols. He alone is the living God. There's a great commentary on the Psalms by a guy called Derek Kidner uh, in the Tyndale series, Get Hold of It. And he says this, the term idols is translated worthless in Job and Jeremiah. It's robust challenge to the accepted ideas of the day invites the Christian to be equally unimpressed by currently received nonsense, whatever its pedigree 
or patronage. By way of a trivial human example of the difference between an idol and the real thing, contrast Bradley Wiggins and Lance Armstrong. Armstrong is the fallen idols, if you know, the fallen idol, if you know your cycling, exposed as a sham. Wiggins is the real deal, uh, though not to be idolised. I hasten to add. There is God, the living God, and there are the gods who are worthless, man-made idols. God's greatness is shown by His creation. The Lord made the heavens. Verse five. One in the eye for Richard Dawkins. God's greatness is marked by splendour and majesty and strength and glory. Think of Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6 of the Lord high and exalted in his temple, filling his temple with glory. Think of John's vision in, at the beginning of Revelation of the risen Christ, Revelation chapter 1. His eyes like blazing fire. I had a friend who became Christian at university, and I remember occasion very vividly. It was actually away on a weekend similar to this kind of thing, when he became so overwhelmed by the cross, these early days of his Christian life, uh, that he wept. In fact, I remember him just sobbing, these huge, racking sobs. And I talked to him about it afterwards, and he said it's a combination of things. One was terrible grief at uh, his sin, which sent Christ to the cross, but also mixed in with it, was this uh, welling up of joy and praise and thankfulness. That is the Holy Spirit exalting Jesus in one young man's life. God and God alone is worthy of all praise. Thirdly, the call to the nations, verses 7 to 9. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The nations do not yet recognize or acknowledge the reality of the living God. I loved the Olympics in the summer. I loved the sport, as many of us did. The Olympics are deliberately a God-free zone, as if we can only be united across the nations of the earth, and as if we can only celebrate if we shut God out. I loved the Olympics, but in that regard... They are the worst kind of Tower of Babel idolatry. The nations ascribe glory to idols of one sort or another. And it's different depending on where you go. And it's different from life to life, the idols that we set up in our hearts. But the nations are called to ascribe, and it's again and again, three times over, ascribe, ascribe, ascribe glory to God and to bring an offering and to worship and to tremble in other words worship three times over massive emphasis and that word offering of course uh, 
has an implication behind it of the sacrificial system. And in New Testament terms, that means trusting in the once-for-all sacrifice of the cross on the one hand, and on the other hand, offering a responsive sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving in word and in deed. In verse 10, there is the reprise of the theme Maybe this is the closest we get in this psalm to the bridge, if you remember what I was talking about last night. Um, Although the structure of this psalm is different, it's more hymn-like, in fact. But verse 10 is, if you like, the psalm in in a nutshell. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. I've been uh, watching... um, bits of the proceedings of the parliamentary committee that is dealing with the same-sex marriage bill. And it's a salutary experience. And it is very easy to think when you watch that kind of stuff that it is the politicians in power who are in control. But the point here is that it is not you, it's not them, it's not our gods, our idols, but it is the Lord who is in control. Derek Kidner again. The phrase, the Lord reigns confronts us afresh with a fact whose impact on us may have weakened. And further, its decisive tense points on to the day when the king will come in power. Five, the call for creation, verses 11 to 13, the last part of the psalm. Let the heavens rejoice Let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. Note that repeated let. Let the heavens rejoice. Paul says in Romans 8 that the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Uh, 8.21, which you've got on the sheet there, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We cannot call on creation, as it were. Creation is deaf to our voice, uh, as we can call on the nation's Evangelism is a call for creation. Creation needs to be liberated from its bondage to decay. Then it will sing before the Lord. So the goal of our praise and evangelism is the renewal of all things to the glory of God. A new heaven and earth with the Lamb on the throne. Read Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, if you want a fresh vision of your destiny in glory. Kidna, one final time. At creation, the morning stars sang together at his Christ's coming the earth will at last join in again meanwhile the Psalter the book of Psalms shows what effect his presence has on those who even through a glass darkly already see his face and he says where God is there is singing so to sum up praise without evangelism is empty Evangelism without praise is dead. Praise and evangelism integrated are God's means of bringing salvation to the world he loved so much that he sent his son to die. Last night, uh, up in the bar, in fact, I met met Chris Banner, 
who's here uh, with us to do one of the seminars. He's a member of St. Mark's Church in Gillingham in Kent. I knew somebody at that church. His name was Tony Stevens. And uh, he was a very, very important spiritual mentor for me in my teenage years. And I'd lost touch with him recently and discovered last night that he died four or five years ago. And I was very moved to hear that. That guy, Tony Stevens, was for me the embodiment of praise integrated with evangelism. And that elevated an otherwise ordinary man and ordinary life to something quite extraordinary. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Romans 10.15, how beautiful are the feet and indeed the voices of those who bring good news. Tony Stevens had beautiful feet and a powerful life lived for the glory of God. Let's be like him. And let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, we thank you for this new song that you have placed in our hearts, the song of the redeemed. And we pray that you will empower us and give us the courage and the boldness and the skill and the wisdom and the insight and the love that we need so that we can be your instruments in taking it to the ends of the earth at all times, to all people, everywhere. Amen.